Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Mizuko. Today's episode covers the horrendous acid attack that brought a Korean law into the modern age and the dismayingly incompetent investigation that dawdled on. Thank you to Vix Mac and Lala for their support on Patreon and for helping to keep the show going. Patrons receive ad-free early access episodes, weekly true crime vocabulary hinting at the content of the next case, and exclusive access to polls to vote on future episode topics. There are no set tiers, so all patrons gain access to everything. If you'd like to support the show, find me on any social media site, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Vero, and Patreon at Korean True Crime. A video podcast is available on YouTube, and show notes are always available for free on on Patreon. Content warning. Today's episode contains discussions of an acid attack on a small child. What was that? On the morning of May 20th, 1999, at 11am, a six-year-old boy named Taewon grabbed his backpack, put on his shoes, and waved goodbye to his mother as he walked outside to begin his route to his piano academy. He hadn't yet started his first year of elementary school, but was going to various academies for tutoring to get a head start. He liked his piano academy, but he had to stop playing with his friend that morning to go to his class. His mom had asked if he could go to school by himself this day because she was busy working at her salon. She said she would be waiting for him at home when he was done. It was a really short distance to his piano school, and kids often walked alone to their schools during this time. His family lived in Hyomokdong in Daegu. Taewon continued down the street his mother's salon was on until reaching an alleyway that he chose as a shortcut to get to his school. It was less than a minute's walk away from his mother's salon's doors. If you're walking in a residential area in Korea, alleyways often are where the entrances to homes are instead of facing the busy street. With more modern houses, that's changing, but older homes typically open from the alleyway they share with other houses. These alleyways are wide enough for a car to park on one side and other cars to pass as they drive through. Taewon had only been walking a few minutes and could still see his mother's salon behind him when he turned into the alley. He still had a while to go before reaching his school, but down the alley he saw a man he recognized and waved hello. The man smiled and greeted him back, Annyeong Taewana. The man walked past Taewon, and that's when everything went black. A burning sensation took over his body. He could hear himself screaming and his lungs burned. He couldn't comprehend what had happened to him in the moments the man walked past him. 
We know now that Taiwan was attacked with a liquid called sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid is extremely corrosive and is most commonly found in car batteries, drain cleaners, and fertilizers. However, when sold in these products, it's greatly diluted. So battery acid, for example, which causes horrible burns, is only roughly 30% sulfuric acid. We don't know the origin of the acid that was poured on Taiwan, but the immediate burns indicated that it was highly concentrated. After the attack occurred, Taiwan stumbled down the alley until reaching a telephone pole where he sat and sobbed for help. Neighbors in the area ran to his rescue and he was taken to the hospital. Taiwan was placed in a coma for five days. When he woke, every part of his body hurt. His body was wrapped thickly in bandages and he had lost both of his eyes and parts of his esophagus. But to his family's surprise, he was able to speak a quiet, gravelly whisper. I'm going to play some of the audio that his mother recorded of him speaking, but I'm warning you now that the sound of him speaking to his mother absolutely broke my heart. In this audio clip, Taiwan is saying to his mother, I got hurt next to a big pole and a small pole. A motorcycle was parked next to the pole. We can hear moments of the recording that Taiwan's mother took asking her son questions to find out who attacked him. Taiwan's parents spent every moment of every day in his hospital room, never leaving his side. Taiwan's father said, It's so heartbreaking, but I have no choice but to watch him suffer without being able to help him as his father. He added, I don't know who did this, but they must be caught. Taiwan's older brother, who was 10 years old at the time, told his brother loudly in the hospital, I'm going to get money from dad when you leave this hospital, and I'm going to buy us a lot of ice cream. Taiwan's mother continued to speak to her son and ask him questions in various ways trying to get any details he could remember about what happened. She did this questioning alone without any police help, as the officers would dismiss most of what he was able to remember as unreliable due to his age and that it would be easy for him to misremember information after a traumatic incident. Nevertheless, his mother continued to speak to Taewon about what had happened. From these recordings, we got 300 minutes of testimony. Taewon recalled what led up to the incident. He recalled details, such as a black plastic bag that the man was carrying when he attacked him, which the police used to dismiss his memories, insisting that acid would have melted such a bag. However, acids are specifically stored in plastic. If you're confused about how an acid can destroy skin but be stored in a plastic bag, let me explain a little bit. Plastics generally don't have any reaction with acid. Sulfuric acid is very good at destroying bonds and things like water on skin. But glass and plastic are very strong and hold onto their bonds, which means they have no reaction with acid. So, to oversimplify, an unstoppable acid and an unbreakable plastic, they go together well. So the police officers were wrong at this initial assessment. 
Taewon's mother continued to ask him questions to help create a very detailed account of that morning. Taewon's mother owned a hair salon and was working that morning. Taewon had gone to visit his aunt that lived nearby after his mom gave him the task of delivering flowers to her. His aunt was so happy with the cute delivery that she paid him a 500 won coin, roughly 50 cents. He then went to his friend Hyun Soo's house to play together. After playing with his friend, he grabbed his bag from his mother's salon and headed down the street for about a block, then turned down the alley. A man approached him, greeted him by name. He said, Taewana, adding the informal ah to the end of his name to signify a casual or perhaps familial tone. Taewon said he knew the man, but not really. He'd just met him before. The man was walking down the alley in the opposite direction of him and passed him for about a minute or so. Then Taewon said he felt someone grab his hair and that's when he yelled. The attacker quickly lifted a black bag and poured a liquid from it onto Taewon's face. Taewon was screaming, so his mouth was open. Taewon began to panic and stumbled down the alley until collapsing next to the telephone pole, the one that he recalled in the recording. He didn't remember much of what happened next as he was beginning to lose consciousness from the pain. He remembered neighbors and passerbys rushing to his aid as he sobbed against the pole. Black liquid was covering his body. When recalling the incident to journalists at KBS, a neighbor said she will never forget his face when he looked up at them. During the attack, as the acid was poured on Taewon, he immediately felt the burning in his eyes, and the acid that went into his mouth caused burning in his lungs and esophagus. Taewon's mother said that she heard the initial scream, but didn't think anything of it because kids often played in the area. But when she continued to hear crying, she stepped outside and the terrifying sound made her begin to run towards where the sound was coming from. She saw Taewon hugging the concrete telephone pole that was turning black from the acid on it. His clothes had almost been completely melted off of his body and he was in a horrifying condition. Other neighbors had arrived to him before her and were working to get him quickly to a hospital. The telephone pole that Taewon was clutching remains bleached from the acid to this day. When Taewon arrived at Gyeongbuk National University Hospital, the doctors were shocked at the state of him. He had third-degree burns on more than 40% of his body. Initially, the doctors didn't believe that Taewon would survive until the next day. But after initial treatment, he survived and would wake up five days later. The questions from Taewon's mom continued, and Taewon named the person he saw moments before everything went black. He said it was a man who lived nearby. He said his name, and his mother was shocked and asked if he was confused. The man he said he saw before the attack was there when the mother found him on the telephone pole. He helped her take Taewon to the hospital. She was sure that he had misunderstood the question or was remembering the last person he had seen. But Taewon was adamant that he was sure that this man was who he had seen before the attack. This information was brought to the police, and the police spoke to Taewon and his mother at the hospital. Taewon was able to say he knew this man who attacked him and named him to the police. Taewon even confirmed he heard this man's voice before and after the attack. However, Taewon hadn't seen who attacked him because he was attacked from behind, and this man he named aided him after the attack. 
So he had seen this man walking down the alley less than a minute before the attack, and this man ran to help him when he heard Taewon's cries. So it was a possibility that this man was merely someone he had seen last before the attack and before he was taken to the hospital. The police brought in the man, named Mr. Kim, who had no prior charges. Mr. Kim gave his testimony to the police. He owned a chicken restaurant down the alley away from Taewon's mother's salon. He had gone into his shop and opened the store that morning. He was playing soccer earlier that morning, so he cleaned himself up and sat down at a table to complete paperwork related to his soccer league. While he was working, he heard the sound of a child scream from afar, but kept working. He didn't know who it was, but he heard the child scream for help again and went outside and saw Taewon down the long alley on the far side at the telephone pole. Other people at the scene told a different story, however. The first person to run to Taewon said that Mr. Kim didn't come from his chicken shop, but from the other direction. Investigators had some suspicions of this man as well, as he had spoken on the phone at 10.35 a.m. and again at 10.37 a.m. The calls he made were from his chicken store. The attack occurred at roughly 11.05 a.m., but Mr. Kim made another call 20 minutes later at 11.24, shortly before leaving his shop to go help Taewon in the alley. Taewon's parents believed their son wholeheartedly because a few weeks prior to this incident, Mr. Kim had contacted Taewon's family to ask to borrow money for his failing chicken shop. He was in a lot of debt, but Taewon's parents refused to help him. A very clear motive had been established. An officer had taken note of the fact that Mr. Kim had helped Taewon after the attack and suffered a chemical burn on his arm because of this. He had a wound on his leg, but he dismissed saying it was from playing soccer earlier that morning. Ultimately, he was released due to a lack of evidence that he was involved in the attack. KBS, the Korean broadcasting system, obtained a secret recording of one of the lead investigators on the case complaining about the investigation. The officer begins to shout that he cannot investigate this man simply because a child named him, because it was prejudiced and unreasonable. The officer then states that his opinion is that the mother was the culprit of the attack in a very inflammatory tone. With the police officers not only neglecting to do their jobs well, but also ignoring the actual testimony of the victim, there was also the fact that at the scene of the crime, Taewon's friend Hyunsu, whom he had played with that morning, had seen some of the incident. Hyunsu recalled seeing Mr. Kim that day walking out of the alley carrying a black plastic bag. Taewon had also mentioned that he had seen a black plastic bag when he was attacked. Hyunsu's friend was able to speak to the police, but he had a hearing impairment. Because of his disability, the police actually referred to Hyunsu as intellectually disabled because he needed to communicate with sign language. I will clarify that Hyunsu is not intellectually disabled. Regardless of this, a person with developmental disabilities are still capable of testifying. I apologize if any of the language I use is not the respectful way a person in these groups would like to be referred to as. I did try researching the correct way to refer to people with these disabilities, but feel free to send me a message to correct me. This dismissal led to the confirmation about the plastic bag being ignored by the police. Other eyewitness testimonies contradicted what Mr. Kim had said that day. Mr. Kim testified that at the time he went to help Taewon, he was wearing a blue sweatsuit, a white cotton shirt, and black rubber slippers. However, 
Others said that when Mr. Kim arrived to Taiwan, he was wearing leather closed-toed shoes. This change in description of clothes may be to the fact that the eyewitness misremembered the shoes someone else was wearing, or it could be due to the fact that he was wearing leather shoes to protect himself from the splash of the acid during the attack. The police collected the clothes that Mr. Kim was wearing that day, but once in police custody, they were contaminated by being opened from their sealed bags. The samples from the clothes could no longer be used. The case for Mr. Kim was lost due to the incompetency of the investigators. While the investigation continued to lead nowhere, Taiwan struggled until the very end. When on July 8, 1999, at 8am, Taiwan passed away after suffering complications due to sepsis. He held on for 49 days before passing away. One of the things I find most frustrating about cases like these is that we all just want justice for Taiwan. We want his parents to find answers, and we want them to reach whatever justice and healing they need and deserve. But instead, Taiwan's parents and his older brother were caught in a 10-year fight for the investigation not to be closed. The statute of limitations on this case was set for 10 years because it was considered an accidental death due to bodily injury. Taiwan's parents were able to work with their lawyers to change the charge to intentional murder, which extended the statute of limitations to 15 years. The police would continue to claim that this case was unsolvable due to there being no eyewitnesses and no physical evidence because they didn't believe the victim the eyewitness friend, and the evidence they collected was carelessly destroyed. This struggle lasted until 11 days prior to the 15-year mark. The KBS investigative team with the Korean 60 Minutes television series revisited the case. They followed Taewon's mother as she stood outside the police station every day wearing a large sign that read, Taewon's mother appeals to you with tears. Please don't ignore the unfair cry that Taewon struggled to say and help me find the truth. The sign changed each day to count down the days until the statute of limitations approached. She gave a heartbreaking protest for the investigators to listen to the testimony Taewon gave in the 49 days he suffered in the hospital. His detailed account of that day was enough to find the perpetrator. KBS spoke to the former lead investigator on the case who had retired, only to be told to leave and never ask him about the case again. But he did admit that they didn't investigate the case well, and they made a lot of poor choices when choosing to not investigate certain leads. But he wouldn't clarify. KBS went in trying to answer the questions about the case that went unanswered about Mr. Kim's connection as well. With the consent of the neighborhood, they hired sound analysts to conduct an experiment to determine if a child's scream could have been heard from inside the chicken shop that Mr. Kim owned. If they could find a problem with his alibi, it could lead them closer to finding the truth. They played a specific tone at the max volume of a child's scream from the location of the attack and measured the sound heard of that tone from the location of the shop, about a block and a half away. At the conclusion of their experiment, 
they determined the sound could not be heard from inside the chicken shop. But unfortunately, the judge determined the case wouldn't be extended past the statute of limitations. The final day had come. At the end of KBS's reinvestigation in the case, they determined that while Mr. Kim is a lead suspect, it was difficult to find any concrete evidence that he was the attacker due to the lack of physical evidence collected. However, they also mentioned it's meaningful that Taewon did specify he had seen this man in particular since he hadn't known him well or seen him often. Finally, Taewon's testimony was consistent and well-detailed and contradicted that of Mr. Kim's. These findings were presented at the hearing for extension of the case. The judge allowed for the case to be symbolically extended for 49 days, the same number of days that Taewon suffered from the attack. The new statute of limitations came on July 10th, 2015. When this day came, the Supreme Court dismissed KBS and Taewon's family's lawyer's final request for extension on the grounds that there was insufficient evidence that a suspect had been found. The case would be left permanently closed. Civic groups aided the family to push forward a proposed law to the National Assembly to abolish the statute of limitations for first-degree murder. The National Assembly agreed to extend the limitations to 25 years from the previous 15 for murder in a unanimous decision of 199 votes to zero, with four abstentions. Unfortunately, Taewon's case has not had any new evidence since then. But if you've listened to previous Korean true crime episodes, you'll know that I mentioned this law before. It's called Taewon's Law or Taewani's Law. My first ever episode back on YouTube about the Wasong killer was actually solved thanks to this law passing. Taewon's family was not able to get justice yet, but his family has helped others all over Korea get justice and healing for their own loved ones who have suffered at the hands of truly evil people. Thank you for listening to Korean True Crime. If you'd like to hear more, follow the show wherever you listen and be sure to leave a review. If you'd like to send feedback, find me on all social media sites at Korean True Crime. See you next time.